1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? An avalanche of action. Bigger, better, different. It's got to be when he's around. Vistas of sweeping splendor. Different. It must be so if he's in the picture. Fabulous beauties, all of them dolls, every one different. They've got to be when he's around. My name's Bond, James Bond. The new Bond. Suppose I were to kill you for a thrill. The different 007. The different bond from the same stable. Diana Rake as the Comtessa, the different bond woman. This one's got class and style. The villains with a difference. Telly Savalas as Blofeld, a new destructive force. With the difference, if my demands are not met, I shall proceed with the systematic extinction of whole species of cereals and livestock all over the world. Gabrielle Fazzetti as Draco, a tough mafia daddy with a problem child. Papa, where's James? Don't worry, you'll join us soon. But we can't leave him. He doesn't need your help. I will not go without him. You'll have to. On the day you marry her, I'll give you a personal dowry of one million pounds. Oh, oh. 
007 times more exciting than your wildest dreams. The creative skills of the cinema's master filmmakers. We've hit the rush hour. If you think you know your Bond, think again. This one's different. This one's got heart. I love you. I know I'll never find another girl like you. Will you marry me? Time enough for life to unfold. Things love has in store. We have all the love in the world. If that's all we have, you will find we need nothing more. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spataro, and as is the usual uh, course of events when we cover a James Bond movie, I'm joined by David Pascarella. How's it going? Thanks for having me again. It's going well. Thanks for coming back. And this time out, we have a third body on with us, Mr. Chris Tyler. This isn't how you introduce the other fella. And we are taking a look today at On Her Majesty's Secret Service from 1969, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess we'll start off by talking about our first experience with this movie, because this is the one that took me forever to see. It had been, I, I never, ever saw it on TV, and it was not released on VHS tape for quite some time and then when it was finally released I was so anxious to see it and I have to say I think that worked against me because I was so anxious that I ended up being disappointed mm. I think if I had been a little bit you know more relaxed about it I would have enjoyed it more uh, but you know what's your both first experience watching this one uh, let's see I remember first so the first the first Bond movie I saw in the theater was Goldeneye. I had seen um, most of the um, Roger Moore stuff on TV over the years, um, and I remember when it was bef- it was right about the time that um, Brosnan got the role. They started doing the VHS releases of all of them, and they were like they made a big deal about Honor Majesty's Secret Service being in that and i was like oh that looks different didn't get around to seeing it until they started to do the dvd releases of the films individually um as brosnan was wrapping up his his tenure as bond um and i scarfled most of those up uh, before i got the three box sets that came out just a couple of years after i was really stupid i wasted a lot of money uh and i just started plowing through them um chronologically as they you know as they were released and uh this one's pretty early on so i got to it um geez i don't know when did when when did brosnan end 2000 is that about the time he stopped 
2001. I think it was later than 2000. So GoldenEye was 95, then 97. So, well, his last was Die Another, <laughs> Die Another Day with that wonderful Madonna song. With that horrible movie. <laughs> you know what? I, I think that movie is underrated, to be honest with you. I think it's been it – was, that was 2002. Uh, okay. I think it's been blasted so much that the reaction has gone too far. I, I thought that was a fun movie, but we will get to that one day. We're not quite there yet. I don't want to necessarily yeah. give my arguments for that one yet. All right. So I, I probably saw this the first time around. It, it must have been right around 2000 then. And I, and again, it was just one of those ones that, okay, this is the, the odd man out, air quotes, odd man out Bond film. Um, but, you know, watching it in sequence with the, the first five uh, films for it, um, you know, I think, you know, it just flows with it. And there's definitely differences that I'm sure we'll talk about, but uh, I was very pleasantly surprised. Hmm. How about you, Dave? The close... I didn't see this movie till mm, I would say maybe 2005, 2006, when I had got, I got the uh, the box sets on uh, DVD of all the Bond movies, and you know they didn't sell them like in order. It was some kind of a. Oh, I know uh, that pissed me off. Yeah, that, there was a strange. I think there were two Bond, different sets, and they were like strange combos. Yeah, yeah I, I almost think it was more than two sets. It was three. I three. bought all of them. Okay. <laughs> so I, I, I didn't see Then I reordered them then. in the boxes. And uh, I did the same thing. I watched them in order, you know, worked my way up to that. Prior to that, the, I, I knew the movie existed. The closest I got was the uh, trailer for the uh, Sunday night movie that they used to have on ABC or something. But I didn't actually watch it on TV and never saw it. Always passed it up in the video store because uh, it, it wasn't a bond I knew. So. Now, I remember when I first went to St. John's, uh, I took a film class and the teacher, and I wish I could remember his name because I would look for him in the credits. The teacher of the film class had talked about how he had worked. He was, he had some role on the crew of, of the, uh, of this movie. And he had talked about the whole George Lazenby taking over as James Bond. And, you know, uh, just, just about his ego on the set. And I remember that being big. Uh, and then, you know, it just really caught me off guard. And then, you know, this, there was that, and it was unavailable to to see at that time. And then, you know, the tape, they were all coming out on tape and it just, it, it had, so, I had so, was so anxious to see this by the time it became available that it would like, so like I said, it was almost a disappointment to me because of that. I saw it the, the once and then didn't see it again until last week when I watched it for this. It, uh, I, I got I to say, just purely from a critical point of view, there's some things in this movie that are very different from what we've seen yep. in other James Bond movies. And if you're expecting more of the same of what you've seen, it takes you aback a little bit. And I think, to be honest with you, the biggest part of it is when he's – disguising himself as uh, Sir Hilary Bray. 
oh. he's doing the weird voice and he's he's I'm trying to to even you know pick out from the performance he's supposed to be or the you know the character he's kind of pretending to be is supposed to be gay but he's seducing women and Blofeld is you know giving them the sleep hypnosis thing and it's just it, it, it almost feels like a drug-induced movie during those scenes, quite frankly. It's real close to the book, though. See, I, I never read the book. It's 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 real close. Now, I just I just recently watched on uh, Hulu. There's a special called Becoming Bond, uh, and I knew it was about Lazenby. Yeah, but I thought I thought it was going to be specifically really focused on this movie and his taking over the role and how he went about it and, you know, like almost like a making of documentary. But it, really what it was was his biography. Yeah. You saw it? Oh, yeah, I watched it. Uh, I mean, it was it was interesting to watch, I have to say yeah. that. But, you know, I mean, he had virtually no acting experience going into this. And he just kind of, you know, assuming all the, you know, because you, you're getting all of these stories from his memory. Yeah. So assuming the accuracy of them, uh, he just kind of like bullshitted his way into the part. <laughs> like a spy. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, it all, I think it almost got to the point where they had he had fooled them to the point where then they were embarrassed to say, we're not giving you the part. <laughs> uh, now, I yeah. hear Diana Rick hated him. I think everybody hated him, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> but for 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 an actor with you know virtually no experience coming into this, I did think he did a fairly good job. In the yeah, well, well, he's 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 not Connery, so this was the first time people were going to be seeing a you know a lead actor change for this character. So obviously, the only person they could compare him to was Connery, but it's not. I don't know if Connery could have played this version of Bond. It would have been it would very have been a different. very very different movie. I don't think he would have wanted to play this version of Bond. I wonder probably if, not. I wonder if that had something to do with him deciding to walk away at this point. I don't know. I think he was just exhausted. They did what five movies in five years, basically. Like that's a that's a lot of stress. That's a lot of but, travel. But, oh no, I, I definitely agree with that but i wonder if he decided that this was the place to draw the line because he didn't you know he didn't find this movie appealing to him from an actor's point perspective possibly uh you know one of the things that just bothers me is now you know we had blofeld in the background in the first four, the first four movies and then in the fifth movie he comes out he, you know you see him and he's yep. donald pleasance and i love his portrayal of blofeld and then uh you know in this one <laughs> bond puts on a pair of glasses and and you know changes his voice and has kind of a gay affect and blofeld doesn't realize it's him at first uh, right. Well, and, and Blofeld, I guess, had plastic surgery to remove his eye scar, and Bond doesn't realize it's him at first. Yeah, I, this one you kind of have to look at. Just we're just going to adapt the story. 
Um, and there certainly are inconsistencies if you want to take it that way. Um, so it's, it doesn't matter. Even if you tried to place this before, um, you only live twice. It still doesn't really work, but I, I think it was, this was Peter Hunt that directed this one, right? Yes. This was his one and only bond. Yeah. He was, he, I don't think he was really concerned about, um, you know, the, the canon continuity. It was, he wanted to, he, here's, here's the book. I'm going to make the book. So that's kind of what he strove for. But but the thing is, they keep pounding away at you from the very beginning of the movie all the way on, at least halfway through that this is connected to all the other movies. Yeah. I mean, to, to the point where he's going through his desk and he's taking out all his souvenirs from his yeah. previous and movies. And we're hearing little pieces of the theme music from those. Yeah. But imagine, you know, that 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 one scene that just cracked me up with that, other than, you know, we're reminding you that this is the same character as I always keep a big knife in my desk that belonged to an old flame, you know? I mean, <laughs> or the, or the, the, uh, the string to Garrett people from behind that, uh, what's his name, Red was going to use on me. <laughs> yeah, well, you can't squeeze the jetpack in a drawer, so what are you going to do? <laughs> Now, at the very, very beginning of the movie, the opening scene, and I think it's kind of a cool scene. I, I'm not too crazy about breaking the fourth wall, but leaving that aside, I still think it's kind of a cool moment. Uh, why is Tracy committing suicide? She feels trapped. She's got an overbearing father. She's racked up debt. She's trying to live her life as she wants to live it and not be bailed out basically because her father's bailed her out of any trouble that she's gotten into she's trying to have a thrill you know she's just a broken person you know so it's and bond does the same thing he comes and bails her out and she lives for the moment with him not thinking she'll ever see him again so there you go they're just kind of you know it's the the rocky and adrian thing you know they both got gaps so. <laughs> I got gap. She's got gap. Uh, I, I, I kind of like Bond aligning himself with a uh, criminal. Oh, oh yeah, it's great. I kind of like that that whole aspect of it. Like he he never he never like breaks his own standards and does anything that he shouldn't. But he's also you know connecting himself with somebody who's you know seedy. Uh, yeah. And I would think in, in Bond's world, he'd have to do that. So that, that has a sense of realism to me that, you know, not everybody's going to be, you know, not everybody he deals with is going to have the purest of motives. Right. And it, well, it's not something that they've dropped either. I mean, he has con underworld connections. You look at, uh, you know, he's he kind of gets along well with um, who's the Russian general there um, in the, the more movies. I can't remember the character's name now but he's in oh, a couple you're, of them you're talking about in the uh actually in, in the the brosnan movies the uh well not even the brosnan before that i mean is it like gotel or something like that? gogol general that... gogol you know there's that kind of yeah i know who you are you know who i am let's just deal with this the way we gotta deal with it and then the uh valentine in the the brosnan movies so it's 
you travel around the world that much doing what you do, you're definitely going to have underworld connections. <laughs> You'd I, have I to. agree, but this is really the first time we're seeing that underbelly in a Bond film. Yeah. In the in the first five, we really didn't see that. Everybody, everybody that he dealt with, that was on his side, was was more pure. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. So now, but now, one of the things that seems a little, I don't know if it's inconsistent, uh, but I think actually I do think it's consistent. But I think it's a little, <laughs> in some ways, it 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 gives you a feeling that things may not have been as as idealistic as you might want to believe uh you know he he's basically convinced because i he didn't really get paid off for it even though there was a payoff uh but he's convinced that he should uh you know romance tracy uh you know he did the father wants him to marry her and he draws the line there uh and and i think he's inclined to do it i don't think he really does it because he's being paid off with blofeld's location which is the uh, reason that that you know which is what he gets out of it but yeah. he, he does have this romance with her and you see them having you know really you know connecting basically uh and then he goes off to do the hillary bray thing and he starts seducing women but so, it's part of the job paul it's well but that that leaves me with the question of if tracy had lived how long would this marriage have lasted anyway it probably would have been an open marriage Let's be honest, because she knows exactly. Well, no, it's, but that was all that was all for king and country. Now, see, he re, he resigned. He was out of the service. Therefore, he didn't have to play craps with his ding dong anymore. You know, he didn't. He didn't <laughs> resign. He he was Took ready to resign, but Money Penny stopped him from resigning. Yeah, but you know, yeah. He didn't. He didn't resign. Uh, he got a leave well, of absence. Okay, but that leave of absence. Had she lived, do you think he would have went back? Because he was clearly very happy. You know, this I got money. You'd be, you'd be happy if you married Diana Rigg too. I, yeah, I, yeah, I would. But it, I don't know. He he has a warped sense of sexuality because of the job that he has. But I think that this was the one woman that he would have, you know, holstered his weapon for. I, I agree. I think if if she had lived, he was done. Yeah, he was, I, he was, I think he, he was. I agree with that. I don't think he planned to return to, uh, to, to Her Majesty's Secret Service. But I, the I, you only know. thing, if I could just jump back a sec when sure. you spoke about the the montage, you know, of them doing all these different activities, all I kept thinking was I would have loved the line at the end. I can't believe we just met like yesterday. <laughs> that would have that would have been straight out of the naked gun. <laughs> oh man! But again, it's it. They do kind of continue on with how important she was. Part of his motivation at the beginning of Diamonds of Forever is because Blofeld murdered her, and then who? It's not the, part of his motivation. Show, it's totally his motivation. And then and then they've got her gravestone. You know, later on when yeah, Roger yeah. Moore's involved, yeah, right? It's only. Yeah, it's super important. So it's, I mean, that alone shows that she would have been the one to tame that savage beast. And again, they probably would have had some crazy adventures together. Actually, I, I, I go more to uh, Roger Moore than with not 
for your eyes only when he goes to the gravestone. I go to uh, the scene with Barbara Bach in The Spy Who Loved Me when she says, married only once, and he yeah. just stops her, and he's got a very serious look on his, on his face, and she says something to the effect of, oh, I guess there's certain things uh, that you're sensitive about. And he was like, you know, with certain things, yes, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I thought, I thought that was a very telling scene, and it was very well acted, and we'll get to that in a few movies. But, uh, you know, this, this is a critical moment in the character's life. Yeah. That he, he does fall in love and he actually gets married, which is just, you know, it, it just makes me think of, though, this was like a trope of the time, is if you had a character that was, you know, marriage wasn't really fitting for him and you'd have him get married and then you'd have to kill off the uh, wife quickly. And the one I always think of was on the uh, show Bonanza. There was an episode where little Joe, Michael Landon, got married and he married Bonnie Bedelia of Die Hard fame. And, uh, and and by the end of the episode, some uh, you know enemies burned down the house and killed her. <laughs> you know, it's a, you you can't have you you just can't have them settle down and be happy. Yeah, well, you know, it's also the line of work that he was in too. If he was just Joe Schmo who just liked to gamble and was self-made, then it, you know wouldn't be the same thing. It's only he only met her because of his job. Really, mm-hmm. and only got a relationship with her because of his job. But if you think about it, she comes from a background where they kill each other too. Oh yeah, she's, she's yeah, she's used to that lifestyle. Yeah, she's she's not thrown off at all. When in the scene when they you know after he romanced her and then he escapes from Blofeld and uh, and I wanted to talk about that escape, but we'll get back to that in a moment. Uh, you know, and then he, he meets up with her again and she, you know, she's like, what can I do to help? And he's, she's like, you know, do you have a car? And it's, it's like, they move right along. It's you know, no problem at all. You know, she, yeah. she isn't thrown off at, at all by it. Yeah. Why would she be? She's seen what her dad does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sure. It, it's, 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 it's just totally, you know, business as usual as far as she's concerned. Uh, just going back to that, though, there's, you know, when, when he does escape, that whole scene, I mentioned Bonnie Bedelia and Die Hard, the whole scene when he's in the, the ski lifts yeah. machinery and everything, it, it just, to me, it felt like Bruce Willis in the elevator shaft. Oh, yeah, just 20 years before. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 want, I don't, you know, it's, it's a very different setting. But I still wonder if, there, if, if this movie maybe in any way influenced them in filming that one that's uh, certainly possible um i've never heard mctiernan reference it as a something that was sticking in his mind but i mean yeah there's a lot of uh regular guy with no superpowers dealing with oh how am i going to get out of this ridiculous situation and in the way that they do that is great too that once they get to piz gloria uh i mean that I like the action in this a lot. Everything that's on the mountain is awesome, and that escape is awesome. And it's let's throw you into this cold metal wheel well, and we're just gonna leave you there because we know you can't go anywhere. We'll be back to deal with you later. And what do you try to do? You try to escape because that's your job. That's why you're there. Uh, crap! I got no tools. Let me rip the pockets out of my pants so I can at least cover my hands and try to climb down this wire. It's like it's, it, I mean it, it, it's, 
the way that they film it is scary too because it looks like at any moment he's just gonna drop yeah well and i think Ugh. that's the thing more so than the actual trappings physical trappings around him is just that sensation that that fear of height and mm-hmm. the the you know the 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 fall and just you know filming it in a way where you kind of can put yourself into his position and actually you know you're sitting in your chair and you're kind of holding the arms a little tighter yeah. because <laughs> because of the 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 height and all uh and that's that's what really put me in the die hard thought process the other movie if you've ever seen it that really did that for me was the wire uh the no, actually was it the wire or the walk it was in the, it was like two years ago about the guy who walked between uh oh, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, it's the walk isn't the it walk. between the towers yes I saw that you know in 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 a you know in the movie theater with the big screen and everything and i felt myself just like putting you know an imprint into the uh, arms of the chair as as i was watching it but you know i as as somebody who has a fear of heights i enjoy in the movies when they can give me that sensation when i can have that kind of uncomfortableness but i still know i'm never going to fall because <laughs> because i'm sitting in a chair yeah I, it, even when stuff like that it, it still gets me i get little vertigo a little jelly legged even if i'm sitting down yeah well so watching do I. that kind but, of stuff but as long as as long as logically i know i can't fall i kind of enjoy when the movies do that to me yeah uh the avalanche scene is oh, yeah it's it's a beautifully shot well choreographed scene that is absolutely unbelievable <laughs> There's no way you could outrace that falling, those falling snow, that falling snow at all. The way that they managed to do, they're skiing right. ahead. It's you've seen it in so many movies where you know there's a flood of water and the person's running and somehow five, twenty, thirty seconds later they're still ahead of it. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's the same thing here, but it's totally unbelievable. But it's so well shot that you're just on, you know, you're totally on it. Oh yeah. All the all the uh, skiing and sledding stuff in this is awesome. It is surprising that Peter Hunt only directed this one. And let's just take a quick look at other movies that he directed. This was actually his first directing effort, apparently. I didn't realize really? that. Really? He did Gold, which I believe starred Roger Moore. Shout at the Devil, which I'm not familiar with. Rough Cut which uh, he was uncredited and replaced by Don Siegel. I think that's a Burt Reynolds movie, if I remember correctly. Death Hunt, which I believe is a Charles Bronson film. Oh, it's so good. Wild Geese 2. Oh. Hyper Sapien, People from Another Star, never heard of it. And Assassination, I'm... never heard of it. Yeah. I'm... Assassination's another Charles Bronson. I saw that one. That's the one he's protecting the first lady, I think. Isn't his wife the first lady? That sounds right. I think he had Jill Ireland played the first lady. I, that, that definitely sounds familiar. Hmm. And Hyper Sapien is a 1986 movie starring Dennis Holohan, Ricky Paul Golden, Sidney Penny, Keenan Wynn. Okay, there's a name I recognize. <laughs> Yeah, not not a not a much of a of a filmography really. 
considering I, you know, I thought this movie was was pretty well directed. Yeah. So I'm a little surprised that he didn't, you know, even if he chose not to go on to other Bond films, which I think well, that he, was his personal he, choice. Well, he edited a bunch of them. So he's the editor yeah. on Doctor No, Rush with Love, Goldfinger, Thunderball. You only live twice. So. So he directed. He he edited all of them. Yeah. <laughs> Up to this point. Yep. Yeah. I'm I found little... this. I found this one to have a certain. And uh, you know I've commented on these movies before, and I'm not a prude. It had a certain slight crudity to it, if if you know what I mean. In a lot. I'm, of, honestly, I'm uh, not sure. So could you could you elaborate? A lot of the comments that were made of uh, a cr- like uh, Bond is known for making, you know, quips and uh, such. But it seemed this movie to me to be slightly on a more cruder level as far as sexual innuendo. And I mean, it, 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 you can say it. But it usually has a polish to it while saying the same thing. Where <laughs> so, to me, so, some of so this basically just you're, t- you're, saying, you're saying this one was a little less clever in the way that they gave the double entendre? More, more in your face? High school, more as a high school thing as opposed to a James Bond thing. Yeah, I don't know I, if I, I can't say now. you're wrong. I hadn't really considered it that way. I mean, it's... I mean, I don't think all the one-liners are especially great in this, and the ones that do land, I think they land pretty well. But it is, it's, it carries on that theme of mm, people in these movies are pretty misogynistic, especially Tracy's own dad. Uh, so, and uh, and and Bond when he does dispatch people in this, there, yeah, I mean, I guess. You're you're right, Dave. There is less of a polish, but you know, he's got lots of guts and. Uh, you know, it's just it, right. That right. That's the one that sticks out. It's you it, know when he in Goldfinger, shocking, positively shocking. It. I don't know. It's it's funny. This. It's like they didn't try hard enough. It's a. It is a little bit of a rougher edge to to some of those guys that he dispatches. Man, it's it's pretty violent. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. It works for me. I but again, then again, um. You know, I'm weird. Now, what did you guys think of Diana Rigg in this? Now, well, actually, let me let me back that up first a little. Are you familiar with her from the Avengers? Because I never really was much of an Avengers devotee, so I can't say I had a lot of familiarity with her. I knew who she was, but I hadn't yeah. really seen that much of her. I hadn't seen that much of her either. I mean, I, I again, I was aware that she was on the the British uh, Avengers show. Um, and then this, and then obviously long before Game of Thrones was ever a TV show. So I don't think I've ever seen the Avengers. I've, I mean, I've had, like I said, a very limited exposure to that, but I can't really, you know, it's not like I, I was saying, Oh, Diana Rick from the Avengers. You know what I mean? Like it, it didn't affect me one way or the other. Yeah, but I'm sure it did in 67. I, yeah, I'm sure the audience was influenced by it, but uh, what do you think of her performance? Uh, she's a top five Bond girl for me, easily. 
Uh, she's got more character than most of them do. She's a smoke show. Uh, she, 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 she breaks, she breaks a champagne bottle to use as a ship. So, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I see. I thought she was effective, but I never felt. And maybe it's because they disliked each other in in real life, or she disliked him in real life. I didn't totally feel. You know, sometimes when you're watching these things, you feel the love story, and you know, like you, you almost can sense why. Oh, I could see why he's so attracted to her, that kind of thing. I never really felt that in this one. It was just kind of like she's another girl who he's infatuated with. I kind yeah. of felt the same way. Ah, all right, I guess I'm the odd man out on this one. I just, I, I bought it. I, I, I That's bought fine. it the first time I saw it. Yeah, I just, the, I mean, it, their interplay when they're stuck in the barn and everything, and you know, if she didn't like him, she doesn't. You can't. I couldn't tell. Because I thought there was chemistry there. Well, I think she's so. a good enough actress to have done a good job of pretending that she liked him. Well, then but, she did her job. But I didn't. <laughs> I didn't feel, you know, the personal attraction to her that sometimes you do to the love interest in a movie. All right. Now I got to say, the scene at the end, the very end, when she gets killed, and Lazenby has his little monologue when the yeah. cop comes up. I thought that was very, very effective. Yeah, and yeah. I was surprised at what a you know what a quality acting job I thought he did. I got those kind of like those goosebumps of you know like where where you almost feel like tears are going to well up in your own eyes. Yeah, I get goosebumps every time I watch it, and I and I and I cannot see Connery doing that part. I just can't. Not from the previous films. I have to agree with you. I don't think I. I, I... I couldn't see him doing it either. You know what? I don't see him doing it, but I don't doubt that he could because I think Connery, I mean, he's retired now. So I, when I talk in the past tense, it's not that he's died, but uh, I think he was a really, really good actor. And I think he could have pulled it off. I think an older Connery could have pulled it off. I don't think the, and not that he was a spring chicken by the time he'd done his first go around with the character. I just don't think that perception of Bond and the way that he had played the character for five years would have been able to to land that the way that Lazenby did. I, I put it this way: I, I don't think Connery would have done that scene better. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I I, yeah. I, I can't say that because I thought Lazenby really hit the mark on it. Yeah. But I wouldn't put it past Connery to have done it as well. All right. Just because I have that much respect for him as an actor. Okay. So, what else have we got here? Telly Savalas. Love him. Love him. I love the cultured thug version of of Blofeld. Love it. I love the the horrible brown suit. I love the way he holds his cigarette. I love the way that he sounds like he stepped out of the Bronx and now he's just thinking he's all the shit. (laughs) I love it. See, for me, what came later tainted it for me because I, I understand this movie's first, but to me, he's looking at it, it's Kojak. <laughs> and, and I mean, if I had been alive back then and sat through it in the theater, I wouldn't have this issue at all. 
but because I spent my whole childhood, I kept waiting for him to go, hey, who loves you, baby? Well, you know what? I'm, I'm going to – and, I, you know, I don't think you can really put it in perspective because in 1969 when this came out, uh, I wasn't – or, 19, yeah, 1969. I was not watching this movie back then. I didn't see it for nearly 20 years after that. And others in this conversation weren't born. <laughs> so, God. you know, but but he did predate this movie with, uh, uh, what you call it, uh, The Dirty Dozen, where he played Maggot, which yeah. is one of my favorite movies and, and probably my favorite Telly Savalas role ever. <laughs> so so I am already, you know, if, if we were doing it chronologically, I am already in a position where I would kind of have a view of him that didn't fit what I think Ernst Stavro Blofeld is supposed to be bringing to the, to the table. Okay. Um, I, I would have preferred it if he was playing. I, I mean, I know for the story intrinsically, it had to be Blofeld, but I would have rather him just been a bond villain unto himself and not be tied yeah. in to the other people who have played Blofeld in particular, Donald Pleasance, who I think was the one who just totally owned the role. Yeah, I agree. Well, the other part of it, too, is even, you know, if you had taken Donald Pleasance out of the the role, if we didn't have uh, You Only Live Twice, the exposure we've had to Blofeld didn't, doesn't seem like the character Telly Savalas was playing. Yeah, you know what? Even though they have the scene of him with the cat on his lap, that doesn't feel natural for Telly Savalas. And, and, and it doesn't feel like it fits the rest of the time when we saw him in the role. Right. Uh, I mean, I, look, Donald Pleasance doesn't, to me, he was good. He's Blofeld. But his appear, his portrayal, to me, doesn't match what went before either. But for um, some reason, I was able to swallow it. I can, I can accept that the character we saw before was the same guy, even though he wasn't. Uh, and I, I could even accept what we get in Diamonds Are Forever as being the same character, even though he's, there's such a physical difference. Uh, but but Telly Savalas plays it very differently. Yeah. So it's not that he's he's not bad in the role at all. He's Telly no, Savalas. No, I'm great. not saying he's bad. No. But he it's, doesn't fit the character the way I understand right. the character to be. It, it is it is very different, and, and maybe that's why I like it so much. Um, I, I and think knowing, you hit it on the nose when you call them the cultured thug. Well, that's that. I wish those were my words. Um, Bruce Tim and uh, Paul Dini. That was their inspiration for Lex Luthor on the Superman animated series, uh, and that that's what they called him. Those the the cultured thug. It, that's basically just riffing that completely for their version of Lex Luthor, and I have I I just really like that vibe for that character. Yeah, I know. I, I can't. I can't argue with that. I just, like I said, it's just he. It, in this movie, he plays the part fine. I just kind of feel like it's it's just not the same character for continuity purposes that we see in other movies. But it has to be the same character because that's why yeah. Bond is obsessed with getting him in Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah, but let's be honest. The the Bond movie continuity is about as loose as the Friday the Thirteenth film continuity. It's <laughs> they're just trying to give you the best show that they can. Yeah, I'll, I, you know what? I'll I'll 
I, I do have to concede that. I, I don't think we've truly had Bond continuity until we've gotten to Daniel Craig. Right. Which, Dave, you still haven't seen any of those, right? No, I'm going to wait until we get up to them. Then I, I'll watch it fresh. All right. Um, this one, and I've you know said many, many times, I'm not the musical aficionado or the film music aficionado that some of our friends are. Uh, but this one is well regarded as having one of the best movie scores. And I have to say, when I was watching it for this podcast and trying to pay a little attention to it, it felt to me like the music was really good, but that it didn't always fit the scene as well as I would have hoped for. So it, I, it almost I, felt like they had this music and they were like, yeah, this is good music. Let's play it. As opposed to here's the scene, compose something that fits it. Yeah, that. Yeah, I would agree with you. But I mean, the cues that work, I think, work great. I mean, that main theme with that. It's, what is it? A Hammond organ or something in the background. It, it just keep, keeps kicking it at the right time. It's great. And I love the fact that there's no title pop song at all. It's just the. You know the score. Uh, I love that, and um, I mean, you do get the. We have all the time in the world, but oh, I over mean, again, and over and over again through this yeah, movie. Well, <laughs> that was. I well, mean, they really... had. They got to pull those strings so that at the end, when he drops that "We have all the time in the world" line, it just gets you right in the hot. Come on. Oh, it does. So it good. Totally, we already discussed that. It totally. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I yeah. The the music in this is great. This this. That main theme track, you can throw that on your radio and crank that one up, and you just you feel like you feel like James Bond when you're listening to that one. Now, one one of the things I liked that I had no awareness of at all until I watched Becoming Bond on Hulu, uh, the, in the opening scene, you know the the uh, the, the gun gun uh, sight scene, uh, when he comes out, he drops to one knee before he shoots the gun. And he did that totally to screw with the, to the people in the movie. He said, all right, walk out like Connery did and, and turn around and shoot the gun. And he drops to one knee. And like, no, Connery didn't drop to one knee. We don't want you doing that. And he kept, at least the way they show it in the uh, documentary, he kept doing different things. And he refused to just do it the way Bond did, uh, the way Connery did. And then eventually they used the dropping to one knee in the movie anyway. <laughs> I, just, I found that very amusing. And, and the other thing about that documentary that I, you know, really took from it was it sounded to me, at least, you know, when you when you're listening to him talk like he he did have some regrets over not playing the part again. And that when he first said he wouldn't play the part again, it was almost like he said that on an impulse without really thinking it out. But once he said it, it was like, well, now I'm obligated. I can never play this part again or I'm going to look like I'm wishy-washy. Yeah. Yeah, it, I it, I think it's kind of a shame that he had that much of an ego and that he pissed so many people off because I think he would have gotten better uh, in the role. Because, um, I mean, Diamonds Are Forever is – it's a trip. Um, and I it probably would have been a better film with him in it um, coming right off of, you know, the previous story. But I don't uh, necessarily agree with you on that, but we'll we'll deal with that down the road. Okay. Um, it's, 
Yeah, I, I would have liked to have seen him do more because I, I like him as Bond. He's not Connery, obviously, um, nor should he be. He's, you know, the first guy to change it up. But, uh, yeah, eh, this is why I'm not famous because I'd probably annoy a lot of people too. <laughs> and I wouldn't well, get I, I think it's funny, you know, again, going to the documentary, then when, you know, when they had him touring to promote the movie. Uh, you know, he grew a full beard and he refused to yep. shave it because they wanted him to come out looking like James Bond. Yep. And they, they kept pushing him to shave it and he kept making appearances without shaving it. And then they showed a scene of him. I'm trying to remember, was he on Dick Cavett or uh, David Frost or one of those shows? And and they were asking him about it. And he kept, you know, he, he was very clear, you know, I'm, I'm not James Bond. It's a part I play. Uh, you know, he, he kind of refused to, to play that aspect of it for the sake of uh, the audience and promotion and yeah and clearly pissed off you know saltzman everybody <laughs> yeah. did, did he write a book that said i am not james bond <laughs> you know the, the guy if, if you get a chance to see the documentary i would recommend it he he has had an interesting life mm-hmm I bet you today would have wrote, written a book. I wish I was James Bond. <laughs> Probably, but, you know, he he's you know in in the documentary and he's uh, he he narrates it and they have close ups of him throughout it, and he clearly is introspective enough at the, at this point in his life to sit back and say, I probably made some mistakes in the choices I made, but this is the life I have and it's been a good life. That kind of thing. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, you walk away and it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting thing to have watched. Yeah, totally worth watching. So, uh, anything else about this one that we should hit on? I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, I, I, I said it to you guys uh, while we were, you know, getting ready to, to produce this thing. Um, it's This is a top five Bond movie for me. Um I really, really enjoy this one. Um, I know it's not a lot of people's favorite, um, and that's fine. Uh, but this one just, everything about this one just really works for me. Um, I probably couldn't give you my other top four right now because they kind of juggle. But this one is always in my top five. Well, I'm, I'm going to just ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit and ask you if you're able to, what's your number one? Most people Ooh. can give that. Number one. That's tough. Um, I really, oh boy, Spy Who Loved Me is 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 up there. That's probably in top three. Um, Casino Royale, uh, Golden Eye for nostalgia, um, and uh, I really like Fear Eyes Only. Interesting. This is not a Connery film in the bunch. Um, if I had to put a Connery one in there, it would be no, no, no one. No one says you have to put anything. <laughs> from From Russia with Love is my my favorite Connery. Right, so you you have a slightly different perspective than Dave and I, which is uh, hey, which well, that's is a good just, which know. is a good thing. Yeah. Of course, you're not like the two of us, Methuselah. So. Oh, I wouldn't call you Methuselah. I mean, come not on, to your but... face, at least. No, not to your face. <laughs> Uh, so, so I'll throw it out to you. Where does it fall on the Jaws scale? Uh, for me, uh, it's a Jaws two. Jaws two, a solid Jaws two. All right. How about you, Dave? 
I, I, I'm, I'm really sorry, Hero. I don't like this movie. Yeah, don't all. have to apologize to me, man. Like what you like. I mean, it, it, it could just be because I was so immersed in, you know, Roger Moore and Sean Connery, and I came to this late in the game. Uh, I mean, the to me, the plus, the ending was a plus. I thought his performance at the end, which Teresa Bond is killed, was excellent. It has a ton of M and money penny, probably more screen time than they get in any other movie. Mm. But overall, I just I don't like him as Bond. I didn't okay. care for the the plot. I I gotta give it a very low Jaws three. Well, okay, all right, that's fine. It's uh, for me. I go back and forth on this one. Uh, it's it's a little bit dated as far as I'm concerned. Uh, some of the ways it's presented just really seem like uh, they're, they're more for the time it was produced than they are now. Uh, there's scenes in it where it tends to drag. A lot of the Hillary Bray stuff drags for me. Oh, uh, with all those women around, how can it drag? Come on. <laughs> it's just I, I find his his performance there where he's pretending to be the other character, just kind of a little annoying. I don't know the, the voice that he, you know, that he takes on. Um, but I think, so, you know, that's on the negative side, on the positive side, I thought he for especially for somebody with no acting experience did do a pretty good job, especially at the very, very end where, where, you know, he does get me choked up. Um, I thought that the action sequences were well filmed, I, you know, I did, there was definitely a visceral feeling to a lot of the things that went on. And I've often said, you know, Star Wars, James Bond, Star Trek, uh, you're not going to make a movie that I'm not going to enjoy to some extent. So right. by their very nature, you know, at, at the worst, you're going to see a high Jaws 3 from me, I think, uh, on, on, my, on my worst day. Uh, this one I'm putting a little higher than that. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's a Jaws two, but it's slightly on the lower end of Jaws two for me. It's it's right. kind of a, a budding Jaws three, but it's above it. Okay. So that'll do it for On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Next time out for James Bond, we're gonna take a look at Diamonds Are Forever. That'll be I don't know a month or two away, a couple of months. But in the meanwhile, thank you, everybody, for listening. Chris and Dave, thanks for coming on and talking about this with me. Happy to be here, as always. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. And we'll see you all in two weeks. Merry Christmas, 007. I'm Sir Hillary Bray. Oh, no, 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 Mr. Bond. Respectable baronets from the College of Heralds do not seduce female patients in clinics. On the other hand, they do get their professional details right. The Blochamp tombs are not in the Augsburg Cathedral, as you said, but in the St. Anna Kirsch. Sir Hilary Bray would have known. A small slip. Takes more than a few props to turn 007 into a herald. Take more than cutting off your earlobes, Blofeld, to turn you into a count. I may yet surprise you, but I'm afraid that you have no surprises left for me. I know all about your mission, Mr. Barnes. Your colleague. Such a keen climber, such a brilliant conversationalist, before he left us. You realize you're a porter where I am? I doubt that. 
In any case, no one's going to come to your rescue. In a few hours, the United Nations will receive a Yuletide greeting. The information that I now possess the scientific means to control or to destroy the economy of the whole world. People will have more important things to think about than you. They believe your threat. <laughs> oh, they will. In any case, I have prepared a demonstration. Remember that disagreeable outbreak of foot and mouth disease in England last summer? Well, I shall instruct them in very convincing terms exactly how I arranged that in my capacity has improved since. Allergy vaccines? Bacteria. Bacteriological warfare. With a difference. Our great breakthrough since last summer has been the confection of a certain Vitus Omega. Infertility. Total infertility in plants and animals. Not just disease in a few herds, Mr. Bond, or the loss of a single crop, but the destruction of a whole strain forever throughout an entire continent. If my demands are not met, I shall proceed with a systematic extinction of whole species of cereals and livestock all over the world. Including, I suppose, the human race. I don't think to you, Mr. Bond, the United Nations would let it come to that. <laughs>